Would you care to step outside? We did it today. Superman. I'm sorry, honey. You are here. The lasso of Hastic compels me to reveal the truth. I'm Batman. Warning, PC and RMD contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Awesome. Oh, sorry. That's your signal. That means we have to go now. All right. Hello. Welcome, everyone, to DC on RMD, the Superman and Lois edition. We are back to discuss Superman and Lois. I am Michael Flores, your host, and in the studio with me to break down the show is David. Hello. And Steve. What's up? All right. So our discussion today is going to focus on not just a single episode, because as I'm sure many of the listeners out there have noticed that we have not been covering the show weekly, but we will now talk about episodes one through seven. So if you're caught up on the season thus far, season three, then please continue to listen. If you have not caught up, we are going to get into all types of spoilers, theories. We have a large show planned because we only have 55 minutes to talk about the massive story of season three so far. Now, I had originally planned to cover the entire season per episode like we've been doing, but with how crazy things have been from the DC side prior specifically Prior to the season three premiere, we weren't really sure what the future of Superman and Lois looked like, even though I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what James Gunn will do moving forward with the DC universe. It still was just a gut punch that we're erasing everything and starting from scratch again. So I was a little disenchanted. So that was one reason. Now, James Gunn's plan for DC moving forward you know, naturally it entails a massive cancellation. That's what he's done across the board. However, Gunn has made it clear, and this is the exciting part here. He has made it clear that despite his plan to reboot the live action, the animation and the television, including the movies, of course, it's all live action. He's throwing out all of that and starting over with some new stuff for a singular connected and cohesive universe. And the key word here is cohesive. He decided, however, that Superman and Lois can continue for another three to four years. So that then brought me some happiness. And I was once again excited to watch the show because the worst thing you can do is push play on a season that is just going to end abruptly. There's going to be loose strands of narrative that never really see any type of reconciliation. And that just didn't sit well with me because literally the news of James Gunn taking control and doing what he was doing happened. I want to say what, two weeks prior to the premiere of Superman and Lois. Yes. So it just didn't sit well with any of us. I know, but in particular in this studio, because we really like the show. And even though we understand that DC needs to be rebooted or saved or fixed uh, or all of the above, we don't think that Superman and Lois deserve to just be trashed because some new guys coming in and trying to fix things. It's a solid show. Oh, yeah. oh, more than solid. It's actually probably one of the best DC shows that, you know, Warner Brothers slash CW has been able to release up to this point and had in so much. All of WB television history oh, yeah. as it relates to comic characters being brought to life. 
Oh yeah. And especially, you know, like not just on the fan side, but critically, it is one of the best critically accepted series out there. So like, we, we, when, we were happy when he said that he's keeping the show. Yeah, absolutely. Because like, it, it, to me, it just made sense. Now, whether or not the show is going to have some bigger part in the multiverse remains to be seen, but I believe as of now, it is being considered part of the DC Elseworld titles, which puts it in pretty good company because the Joker yeah. is in the Elseworlds. Everything subheading. Is, everything will be. As well as the Batman. Yes. What do you mean everything will be? Well, I mean, if James Gunn is coming in and pushing the reset button, mm-hmm. literally anything that come came prior to James Gunn is now all Elseworld. Well, what do you mean? But, but what Mike is saying is anything that's continuously running or, or releasing, like exactly. Batman, the Penguin series on HBO, Joker. Or, or now it's called whatever the fuck it's called, uh, the Joker... All of those things will be the in in current timeline elsewhere. Elseworld, yeah. <laughs> but I I was happy that James Gunn chose to keep Superman and Lois because, and no doubt, it's because of its careful attention to the quality of narrative and its nuanced approach to the Superman mythos, but also the intricate storytelling of Clark and Lois and this family dynamic. Do Do you think James? watches or has watched the series i think he had a lot of review to do yes Yes. i do believe because of how involved he is on social media and he doesn't just speak from his asshole there's a lot of things he says on twitter about dc as a whole that you understand that he actually is watching and reviewing things because he's speaking from a place of knowledge and not just a generalized thought on things which is a lot what a lot of ceos and leaders of certain IP franchises do. He's very specific when he speaks about certain things. So let's throw all that to the side now and get into this season. We're going to be taking a deep dive into season three. And I mean, there is so much to discuss and it's, it's good that they are sticking to the original concept. That's, that's what I want to start with. They are maintaining the family dynamic, which has been theme numero uno since the very beginning. And it's worked for them every season. And as long as it's working, why would you pull away from something that we really as Superman fans have not ever been privy to in the past? Nothing to this depth. You know, we've said it before, right? Superman Returns is the closest we ever got to something, anything remotely like this. And it's it compared comparing the two. They're nothing alike. Oh yeah. (laughs) The closest comparisons I've been hearing uh, online are people like comparing this to Smallville. Not even close. Not even close. Unfortunately, not even close. Yeah. There's the personal. Unfortunately, it's just not. There's those personal melodramatic moments we know in Smallville. It's it's not even close. Quality, quality, quality. When it comes to the writing, it's not. It's just not, I understand that people who are Superman fans, because I'm the same way, I immediately will gravitate to comparisons of other Superman properties, but I want to take this out of the realm of Superman. Why compare Superman to Superman? The season's writing has always been so strong, and this season, I feel, is the strongest 
I think third season so far moving into the eighth episode is probably some of the best writing this show has done. And and there are a few aspects where the melodrama becomes a little tedious and I stress little, little, but comparatively speaking, placing this next to the countless other DC television shows when it comes to exploring the human condition is right up there with shows like doom patrol and other top tier DC IPs, not just TV shows, but I'd argue that it might be some of the best writing for a DC property ever, 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 regardless of film or television. And I would even take it as far as this season in particular, because sometimes, you know, you might hit the sophomore slump Mm -hmm. or the junior year you start to, eh. this just keeps getting better with each season. Yeah. And the writing of this particular season and the core focus around what's going on in the family or families, plural, as we found out. You could put it toe-to-toe with some of the best drama that's ever been yes. on other network television. Oh, easily, easily. And I, and I would draw a comparison because of what we've witnessed. Um, while it's a different genre, so to speak, think of Breaking Bad and what the core focus of that series was about the commonality between these two and the depth of some of these, these episodes and the feelings that get touched upon, like you feel that pain. It's on par with some of what you saw in breaking bad. Like oh, yeah, it's you, incredibly well done. Even like with the, some of the acting performances. Yeah. Some of the performances have been top notch. I mean, everyone is in agreement that basically the, the main leads are probably the strongest actors in a lot of, superhero TV shows we've seen. Mm-hmm. Tyler has done amazing progression from season one where he was trying to find his, find his feet as Superman season two started gaining traction. But season three is almost kind of like his, this is his, this is his season. This is his season it, to come out. It, it is, but make no mistake. Wooly parks is, oh, yeah. I, I mean, this woman deserves all of the awards, <laughs> all of the awards, <laughs> but she's been like that. And she's been that really great, steady performer since the very beginning. Since the very beginning, since but- the very beginning, she's been like the, the honestly, the number one actor in the, in the whole series. Yeah, I would agree. It's just a beautiful beating of like the perfect creative minds, because obviously actors can only act as good as the writing and the writing can't pop unless you have a good performer. And I feel like Todd Helbing just working at the magic that he's working on the paper and then he picking the right type of actors to play these roles because I've seen these actors in other roles and they're adequate. They're okay. Mm-hmm. They're not horrible. They're definitely above average. But when you see what they do on Superman and Lois, you realize that they're just being given great material that they can then perform that much better. They deliver those lines. They create those emotions. And going back just a few minutes, Steve, when you mentioned Breaking Bad, at first I was like, whoa, that's a quite the comparison there, buddy. But I was thinking about it. The one thing that makes Superman and Lois work is their tendency to lean into real relatable issues. Breaking Bad, that's pretty much at the cornerstone or the foundation of that series was also very much the human condition. What are you willing to do for X, Y, and Z? Mm -hmm. We've all heard the arguments that the reason why it's hard to make Superman 
stories work is because he's OP and it's hard to make stories that audiences can relate to though. I can see how someone can logically arrive to, to that conclusion. I mean, after this show, it should be proven that we should all disagree. The more time that goes by, the more it seems like the writers of the show understood this general consensus, you know, despite it not being entirely accurate assessment, you know, the unrelatability of Superman because Todd Helbing has continually chosen to ground the story by intersecting Superman's role as a hero, his responsibilities to the world and his role as a father. And it's worked in a way that I, as a Superman fan, never would have conceived myself. I don't believe I would have gone in this direction. Think about how much screen time, Superman has actually had this season. Exactly. It's probably been maybe five minutes. So I, yeah. I wanted to point that out, but first I have to make a quick correction. I misspoke because something jumped up on my screen here mm-hmm. and I said, Wooly Parse, obviously it's, that's, it's, that's, Elizabeth, it, it's Elizabeth Tulick. So I want to make sure people understand that we How know. How can you get those two confused? Because I was, I, my brain was thinking one thing as I was speaking and then I, I was looking at my screen and something else jumped out at me and that was the name that I read and, and so it just you know brain wires crossed (laughs) but yeah i think at at its core we've seen different characters portrayed um in different mediums but especially film and television Mm -hmm. where you're trying to to balance that duality of these heroes where they have their their professional life as a hero and their personal life and there's always that give and take of how do I do that balance, right? Peter Parker's constantly having to do it right. Um, but in in this particular case, what this season has really done that I've never seen done in any other um, superhero story is, and it works so well because, again, he's OP. And he, his name is in the title card. But there's been so little of him and of CGI this season compared to any of the previous seasons or in general, because the focus is on what he's dealing with, with the family and the, and at its core, that family element is the first time really ever where Clark has always been the one to save Lois. And this is the one instance where he's completely powerless to do anything. Yeah. It, this this type of storytelling, especially with Superman as a character, is like the polar opposite of his, to me, the greatest Superman story ever told in comics, which is All-Star Superman. You know, that was like a masterpiece. Every Superman fan knows that that series of comics was is considered, that's the seminal Superman story. But it's it, it was interesting to me thinking about it as like, for comic book fans, that is the perfect Superman story. Why? Because it focuses all on Superman doing all these amazing things and seeing him tackle these in a human way. Here, it's the opposite. We're seeing actually not Superman in action. We're seeing Clark in action. A lot of that has to do with the, the perspective that they've chosen to write most of the, the show around. Because as we have said, I think now for three seasons, the show is from Lois's perspective. It's about Clark and the family, but a lot of it's from Lois's perspective. And by allowing us to pull away from the hero's perspective, you can now get a better image objectively 
of what it means to be the hero. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And the family man from the eyes of the matriarch. It's a very interesting way to write a story that keeps both of our key characters involved and front and center. Rather rather than going episode to episode relying on just one, which is usually what happens when you're dealing with shows with a dual cast. Here you have two characters that are combined. One is about and the other is from their perspective. Well, even even with Lois and Clark, I mean, it's in the title Lois and Clark, and you, you, the show is about Lois and Clark, okay? Yeah. But in this one, even though it's Superman and Lois, I would still argue this one is about Clark and Lois because yeah. Superman generally is the thing. And Clark is the secret identity hiding the thing, and everybody wants to see the thing, which mm-hmm. is Superman. But here, to Mike's point, it's it's like Superman's the alternate identity, and the focus is on Clark, Clark and his and, wife. And his wife. And the interesting thing, too, that I, I realized watching and analyzing the past six, seven episodes was... This particular season, Superman has been reduced as kind of like the role that Lois usually takes. Lois is actually the superhero this season. She's the one that's tackling the quote-unquote big villain for the season. Because as everyone put it, the big villain isn't really the normal Superman villain. It's not Bruno Mannheim. Bruno Mannheim's just a piece of the puzzle. The real villain is cancer. And yeah. And Lois is basically fighting cancer. Yeah, that's, that's the, her kryptonite. That's her kryptonite. And essentially in this season, they flip the 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 dynamic that we've had since season one, where it's like Lois is the matriarch. She's the one that's supporting everyone, keeping the glue together. She's never actually had to, quote unquote, fight. But this season, now it's flipped. Clark is the one that has to be the glue. He has to be the one that says, okay, I'm going to get the boys together. He's We're trying. Going. He's doing the things yeah. that the past two seasons Lois had to do. Meanwhile, Lois is like going, okay, I got to take on this huge task. That is terrifying. I don't have any superpowers, but my superpowers is my will to overcome cancer. Essentially. Cancer and the adversity of, of trying to get to the bottom of the mystery of, of Bruno, of Bruno and, and, and digging up all the dirt and she's willing to brave through the kryptonite at all costs, the cost of her health. Yeah. To get to that, that end goal. The end goal. And which is something normally Superman would do, right? Mm-hmm. He's going to do whatever it takes to bring down the bad guy. And, and the roles have kind of reversed in this weird, uh, poetic way. Yeah. The weird dichotomy. It's, it's like, a, I'm serious. I've never seen a superhero series be able to to tell a fantastic story without one iota of focusing on superheroics because the superheroics are basically just being human. It goes to like what you were saying, Mike, the strength of this show is like the ability to actually focus on what does it mean to be human? Superman is an alien. He's from another world, and he probably, if you dis, if you delve into certain comic books, they have discussed this thoroughly about the psychology of Superman, and he has imposter syndrome at times. Mm-hmm. He also has this this 
this othering of himself because he doesn't feel like he quite fits in at times certain stories. And they're taking some of those aspects because this is the most human Clark will ever feel in yeah. this season. He, he doesn't have fears. He can't die. But he, he does have the fear of losing the lowest. woman. He Correct. Wants. And that's something that he's never had to experience before. So they were able to ground this show and make it relatable by taking something as abstract as cancer and make it a villain. That's the abstraction aspect. Yeah. And then you have Clark wrestling with this idea that, yeah, nothing can hurt me, but suddenly there's something that I can't fix. My strength can't fix this problem. And now he has to confront the mortality of his wife. And then they brought up, I think in episode six or seven, they brought up that this is something you're going to have to deal with. You're super. We are humans. We age. So by posing those types of things and surrounding Clark with that, they have allowed the audience to actually see Superman through a more human lens. Yeah. Because he's actually had experienced what it feels like to be human. That's why that moment when he goes to the, uh, the little circle, the, the, the therapy group, the therapy group. Yeah. He was so uncomfortable being surrounded by things that he's, he's a hopeful, optimistic guy. And you put him in this circle where you're dealing with reality. Right. Yes. Well, and, and look, he lost Pa Kent at yeah. an early age. And when the show first kicked off, we saw him lose Ma. Ma. Yeah. So it's not like he hasn't fully but experienced. losing parents is a lot different than losing a significant other and yes. your kids. I, I, exactly. I agree. I and think are, a lot of us are built to understand that someday we're going to lose our parents. It's built into us at a very young age. We're going to outlive our parents. Yeah. And also the difference in the difference for mom, pa, Kent up to this point was... Is fuck them? No, not, not <laughs> just fuck them, but like... They the, did the best the, they could. The, the thing about their death was something that Clark was okay with because it was a natural death. It was not something that he could have actually focused on and tried to save the day at that point. It was a natural... They, they naturally passed away. There was nothing, you know, traumatic about... Uh, I want to say... The ball, well, the pocket one wasn't traumatic, yeah. but it was a natural death. Lois is a little different because there's so many avenues that technically he could, he, he's probably in his mind, especially when you watch in season or episode six, you see his brain thinking, maybe I can do this. Maybe I can do this. I can fix this. I can yeah. still fix he's this. He's constantly somehow. trying to do the math, but It'll be interesting if they ever fully divulge where her cancer came from. Because, it, yeah, his that's dick. what I'm wondering. Like his radio, the radioactive filled Kryptonian penis. Penis. Kryptonian penis. Kryptonian penis. Like, we don't know. I mean, you know. If the, uh, if the son's uh, girlfriend start getting cancer, then we got to worry. They passed some Kryptonian semen. Well, I had, I had a fear. I had a poison. fear they would make the cancer part of the story somehow. And I was like going, man, if they make it like black, because Lex Luthor's coming, we all know that if they make this part of Lex's plan, his master, his plan. master plan was to kill Lois yeah. with cancer. That's fucked. 
He hates Superman. <laughs> Kryptonite. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. is a guy that was willing to screw up the entire eastern seaboard just to uh, two occasions <laughs> just to make more land because God's not making any more. And Otisville. And, and Otisville. Otisville. So western and eastern seaboards. He was willing to make new land on a continent on both sides. He doesn't give a fuck, Mike. I'm calling it now. Lois is probably going to die around episode 11 or 12. You think and, the and Superman's going to uh, reverse the rotation. So that was what I was going to say. The only possibility he has to, to address this situation is he's got to change. He's got to change, change their yeah, rotation and then he's going to give up his power. No, you <laughs> never he's going to get beat up at a diner. <laughs> no, no. And then he, he's going to go back to the fortress of solitude and scream father. <laughs> You want to go through some more plot points with me? <laughs> <laughs> because the writers obviously know what the fuck they're doing. They understand the characters. They understand the nuances of writing. They take this ingenious approach to a Superman story. And now and we often talk about DC shows and how their heroes are only as good as the villains they pair them up with. And now I'm, of course, talking about the tangible villain and that is the whole story pertaining to Bruno Mannheim that really just fucking busted through the wall in this latest episode oh yeah you you thought that they you thought that basically every everyone was thinking that Bruno Mannheim was going to be the villain of the month essentially a crime lord but no they have to make the the thing that I found really interesting, especially in the last uh, two episodes, Superman and Lois has a way of turning their villains and making them, I'm not going to say like they're mirrors for our heroes. Yeah. I'm not going to say that they're, you know, like good guys or anti-heroes or they're anything. Humanizing they're them. humanizing. They're them. relatable. Every single yeah. villain we've had this year is, or this, since the show started yeah. is relatable because I thought about this justified and rate relatability are two different things. We can understand at times why someone may commit a crime. Yeah. I mean, I just thought about this on the way into the show was like season one, we had Tauro, which was amazing. The, the, the brother that basically felt forgotten. Then in season two, you have Bizarro, who's a mirror of Superman and then in here in season three, we have Bruno Mannheim, who is kind of like a pseudo mirror now after, after episode seven, he's a, he's a mirror of Clark. Well, he's a mirror of the family dynamic that you got two families dealing with the same thing. And, you know, maybe they end up in group therapy together, sitting around the circle together in a, in a future episode. Um, but what's interesting to me is while there was kind of a swerve, if you want to call it, it wasn't the same kind of swerve that we necessarily had seen in previous seasons or in, in particular in other CW series. Yeah. I mean, if it you want to felt more, it wasn't like a necessarily a gotcha. It was, it was like, wow, that's smart. It's natural. And it feels like yes. it would make sense based on the history of this show so right. far, yeah. because there has been this general like duality that has worked to create this binary opposition mm -hmm. you know yeah. between the hero and the villain and they keep continuing that and i always say if it if it's not broken don't fix it if this is what you've been doing since day one that's made your show work 
then continue down this route because bringing this in the latest episode, this mutual understanding between Clark and Bruno Mannheim was very powerful because it creates this narrative friction and inner conflict, this, this, the questioning of ethics and posing the question, how far are you willing to go to save your loved one? Yeah. In a lot of ways, that's foreshadowing things that we're no doubt going to see because I have a feeling that Clark is actually going to be presented with that very question. He's going to be able to save Lois, but it might cost. But at what cost? And that's the thing is kind of like showing that parallel between him and Mannheim. And I mean, not as Superman, but as Clark making that moral choice. If you go down the route that Mannheim goes, you'll destroy yourself. Because essentially that's what, when we look at the story, especially in episode seven, when you get that backstory with about Peya and Bruno's relationship and why Bruno Mannheim at this point is so driven to save his wife to the point that he's willing to sacrifice everything. He's willing to actually do whatever it takes, no matter what the cost, no matter if it, if it sends him to jail or if it gets him well, killed. Since episode one, that's been his MO and, and yeah. Clark has been trying to uncover as, as obviously Lois, what he's been doing and he's been, super powering these people with, with whatever means, but this is a man that's driven by the same drive that, that Clark is driven by. It's like, what can I do? What do I need to do? You have two people who are obviously, I mean, that's the whole point. Bruno Mannheim is the top dog. He's the big swinging dick. He's powerful. He takes what he wants and does what he wants. Superman, the most powerful being on this planet that right there is just a great pairing up and you now present them with these two ideas that they have all this power and yet this power means nothing. Then you pose those ethical questions. Well, a man that has power is used to getting what he wants. So what are you willing to do to, to save these people's lives? But the difference between the two, too, is their, their significant others. Look at the, the the thing that I thought was really cool in episode seven was seeing Peya's reaction to telling the story of her, how her and Bruno got together and her coming to the realization that her husband is willing to do everything to even sacrifice himself. And that tortures her because you get that sense that she's tortured by this idea that Bruno is willing to sacrifice anything for her. And here she is. She's she not only has to deal with that, she has to deal with the fact that she has cancer, and it tears her apart. Because how do you? She she essentially is fighting two fronts. And then you have Lois, who's almost like the same way, but like the difference between the two couples is Lois and Clark will communicate that with each other. They will talk to each other about it. Yeah. Bruno and Peya. Bruno doesn't listen to his wife because all he's thinking about is I'm going to lose her. I'm going to lose her. I'm going to, I'm not going to lose you. Yeah. And it's like, you're not listening to your wife. You're not talking to her. That's, that's tearing her apart. Right. Which is probably pretty common in a lot and of it marriages. Is. <laughs> and well, not even marriages. The thing I thought was really cool was how relatable these relationships are in the real world because majority of people, whether they want to believe it or not, 
if the, uh, and I'm just talking about this because I have a significant, my significant other has dealt with cancer in the past. She tells me these stories of what she went through and mm-hmm. everything else. And her family has that history. And she basically says the problem that a lot of people and a lot of people that I've talked to about who suffer through cancer, no one listens to them. They, all they hear is basically everything will be fine. We're going to fix this together. Yes. And, and let me give you an additional perspective. So my mom survived breast cancer twice and thyroid cancer. I was not even told about the, the breast cancer the first time until probably three years after it happened. Yeah. And the, the reason it's, it's so salient to me that, that, um, is watching this series because when you think about what Lois, how she's handled it at the beginning of the series, um, she didn't, she didn't want to talk about it. Yeah. You know, the other side of that is no one on one side is people won't listen to me. They won't listen to how I'm feeling, what I'm thinking. And then the other side of it is I don't want to talk about it. I'm going to, to ignore it. it and pretend that it's not a thing that exists in the hopes that I, I can stay distracted. And in her case, her work is her distraction. Yeah. In the very beginning, in, in my mom's case, it was just quite different. She's of that generation where, you know, it, it, no, you know, I'm not going to tell anybody my business. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's yeah. like, well, your family, you should probably tell them. You should probably tell them so that they're aware, but she never did. And, and so, um, for me, I related to that having lived through it with my mom and not finding out until after I'd be like, what the fuck, mom? Like, <laughs> well, why? Really? You're not going to tell me like, yeah. what's going on here? And then, and then subsequently, oh yeah, by the way, I also had thyroid cancer. And then, oh, by the way, the, the breast cancer had come back, but it, it's gone now. We, we took care of it. It's like, <laughs> you're not even telling me you're going through chemo or anything. I, I was literally flying blind for yeah. multiple years because that's just her mental approach is just to obfuscate and hide and whatever. Um, so it's, it's just really interesting how obviously different people handle the subject completely differently. Oh yeah. You even see it through the relationships of how the sons react, how Clark reacts as a yeah. husband. No show I have ever seen tackle the, the, the issue or the topic of cancer has done it so well as Superman and Lois. It's good, and I like it. I also want to call them out a bit about it. There are times where I roll my eyes because it feels like a PSA. To a degree. It's a little over the top at times. Like, we get it. You have cancer, and it's a fucking serious thing. But they go on these long... I don't want to call them, di- yeah, let's say diatribes, the long diatribes, these musings of cancer and the strength it required. They're really putting it over. You know, we understand cancer is serious, but th- I think there was like the first episode, I rolled my eyes really, you were first I, I, my eyes almost fell out of my sockets. There was that, that scene where she's talking to everyone and sharing the news with everyone and it goes like in a montage mm-hmm. and there's this one scene where she's standing on the patio talking to, I think Lana, then she's at the school talking to someone about it. It just felt like those PSA commercials about cancer and having someone special to share your illness with. Yeah. It felt a little silly and they've done that a bit in every single episode when they start getting onto the top of a can of cancer. So I, I kind of read it a little bit differently. It seems overly sentimental. Perhaps, I think, I think, it, but, but hold on. I think perhaps Mike, there's a reason for it and I'm going to hypothesize that there's two reasons. 
one, it seems to me that someone in the writer's room has either lived through this and gone Correct. through it um, yep. in some capacity. And so this is their way of, of um, working through the pain, working yeah. through it, yeah. getting it out. And also, you know, we talked about what's, what could be in store for Clark and the cat and, and, and everyone by the end of the season. The, those could have been seeds that were sown at the beginning so that by the time we get to the end, should she not get through this, yeah. it will make that beginning so much more impactful um, because of those seeds that they had planted. Because essentially... What if we're watching the death of Lois Lane? It could be. Yeah. I mean, like, the thing is... is and the like, way she got cancer was from Doomsday. <laughs> <laughs> so they do a little flipperoo there. Mmm. Good thing I'm not in that writing room, right, yeah, guys? Yeah, it's a good thing you're not in that writing room. Because, guys, I imagine mean, this, guys. Ready? The death of Lois. Doomsday. And his dick. Wow. <laughs> that sounds like the next porno. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I'm not saying that cancer stuff is bad. I'm a human no. being and I feel it. I, I definitely feel it. And a lot for the most part, I'd say 99.9% .9 of it works, but there's little moments. And that's why I was saying at the top of the show, there's some tedious moments, but they're very small. But I think that's the trick with this type of storytelling, because like, as I said, like this, the way they tackle the, the topic of cancer is one of the best I've seen because more or less when you, when, <laughs> when people have done this in stories, not just in TVs, but also in comics, they flub it big time because just like what you said, Mike, they always go that PSA route that, Oh, we'll be fine. We'll be strong together. But that's why and I, it's, I draw the analog between that and breaking bad, because I, I see these as two of the best examples I've ever seen of families dealing with the topic of cancer and how everyone reacts to the situation differently, mm -hmm. both the person going through it and the people surrounding, the them, surrounding them and how everyone just reacts is, is phenomenal. But I also don't want to gloss over the fact, you know, we mentioned Pia. I don't want to gloss over the fact that that is a character that when I first saw that character introduced, look, I'm a massive Kevin Smith fan. I, I love, <laughs> I, I'm a fan of his, of his anthology of works, right? I haven't been that big of a fan of the times that he's dabbled in actually writing comics. And when Especially he, when he was with Green Arrow. When he did Quiver, there was pieces of it that I appreciated and enjoyed. And then there was a lot of self fellatio and, and things of that nature, especially with Batman cacophony. There was, oh, yeah. It was just like masturbatory. Like I'm getting the new Batman, you know, <laughs> but good for him. I'm happy for him. But onomatopoeia as a character on the page didn't even work for me. And he had gone on record numerous times since that character, he created that character and said, you know, it's a cool, people always were wanting him to bring in. Oh, it, it won't work. It works on the page because of what onomatopoeia is and what it means. Um, it, it will never work on television. I've got to hand it to this showrunner and the writers and the people who brought this character to life. Never in a million years would I have thought it would have worked. And I think it's one of the coolest looking character designs visually I've seen in a oh, long time. Oh, that mask that, that she mask, wears? I mean, it's kind of Rorschach-esque. But I but find it, makes it sense. I find it so terrifying to look at because there's just something about it. But they didn't go with the idea of onomatopoeia and having words. And 
they just use sound yeah. as, as a device to terrify and dismantle someone. And that's the thing about this, the, this series in general is like, we would never have thought, look at the villains that they've brought in that everyone probably would have said would never have worked. Talro was a custom character about bringing a brother of Superman into an original character. And that was like the idea, the concept of Superman having a brother. It, it bothered me. I mean, we can go back. Normally and it would, yeah, it, 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 would, it would bother all bit. Superman fans of the comics, but it worked. It worked. Then in season two, you have Parasite and you have uh, do, uh, Bizarro. Mm-hmm. Both characters, people say, oh my God, they can't do the, these type of characters. Well, Doomsday Bizarro. Yeah, Doomsday Bizarro. But... <laughs> And then in season three, you have Anima Pia and Bruno Mannheim. Bruno Mannheim was the one that I'm like, okay, I could probably live without. It's another crime boss. Yay. How are you going to make this interesting? More interesting than Lex, which is what everybody exactly. wants to see. I will say this. <laughs> Pia is cool. And I agree with everything you guys just said so far about how it's been presented in live action. Because yes, Steve, if someone told me that, this character was going to be a villain. <laughs> I was like, please just stop. Just like, stop. Why are yeah. you, why are you even doing this? Yeah. That sounds silly, but it's worked. It looks <laughs> great on screen. Yeah. Now from a writing perspective though, now that it's been revealed who the person is behind the mask, it's time to also flesh out that villain story a bit because we know nothing about this person where they came from. They're just a henchman. Now we understand the reveal and we understand Pia as a cancer patient. We understand that immediate story, but where did Anna Pia come from? Yeah. So he, how did she become this? Why? Sure. I think that's a big gap. And I think you as Superman fans are not even discussing it because you're talking about the character as you already understand and know them. But this is a show, a TV show mm-hmm. that has to do its due diligence. It has to present certain characters in ways that audiences can follow and understand. That they don't ha- know the material. Yes. Now, when it comes to Bruno Mannheim, perfect. When it comes to Parasite, perfect. When it comes to Superman's brother, Tal Rowe, perfect. It's all worked in the favor of the show because they've done their work at explaining how this character came from A to B to C. Anamanapia is just there. And I'm talking about as the villain. So counterpoint, your honor, <laughs> we've had the same discussion numerous times throughout the series. Oh, since yeah. We started and yep. I'm going to give them at this point, as much rope as they need. Oh yeah. Because I know that just around the corner, if not one, if not two episodes <laughs> from now, all will be yeah. revealed. All You're will right. be revealed. And <laughs> You're the, right. That's You're the right. thing. Even in even How many in, times have we done this now? I know. I I this is one writing team that I can say more than most writing teams that we've ever covered yeah. or shows. We're in sync. We're in sync. We're in sync and, with and them. I trust yeah. them. And yeah. that does not happen often. And it doesn't. Yeah. The, the weirdest thing by far, too, is like when you get to episode seven and you get the background of Mannheim and Anamapia, the name drops of Luther, basically the fact that Mannheim's like saying, yeah, I want to take this territory from Luther while he's in prison. And I'm like going, okay, we know that basically at toward the end now, Lex is going to show up. That's the, that's the, that's the quote unquote big bad. That's our Zod. 
of of the series. Like in season one, we had Zod. Zod-ish. Ish. <laughs> Zod light. But it yeah. worked. And that is what I think is gonna be leading up to. Because I and, think the gang is is Lex and is Bruno, Lex. right? Is, yeah. Yes. And like I'm like going, I have a gut feeling that Luther is the one we're going to get the explanation of Onomatopoeia. Mm-hmm. That's because of Luthor. You know, okay. Manheim because cancer. of Luther. <laughs> oh, that'd be just. But it would but be it, very within Luther. It'd be, it'd be in his psychology. Yeah. <laughs> it would be in his... He's just handing out fucking cancer to these ladies. You like get Oprah cancer. You get cancer. You get cancer. <laughs> <laughs> no, Lois, you got the perfect cancer because Onomatopoeia was my guinea pig. I mean, I, I suspect that it's more to do with Bruno, since he had been doing these tests on these other people, um, and obviously they're having major uh, health problems. Problems. I suspect that for whatever reason, we will find out that they, uh, he was a subject of his as part of whatever. Which would be so freaking tragic. Exactly. That's probably I think also, that's the. That's very Shakespearean. It's very sorts. Shakespearean because if you think about it, that, explains why he's so obsessed with making sure. I did this. I, I I'm going to fix this. Yeah. It, this show's so good. I love the <laughs> things they do. Did you guys catch also? They're not just forgetting building these other characters up. They're using the larger story and keeping them closer than they have in, during those past seasons. And then they also bring in the family dynamic again with Lana and Kyle and dealing with the the aftermath of divorce. And then once again, you have the children that are forgotten and divorced. Forgotten. And the reason why we all laughed coming to the studio was yes. because they literally called themselves out. From day one, Our I, I would say that our agreed problem, maybe not a problem, but at least no, it's poking, a problem. poking fun. It's a we, problem. we called attention to this. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> There's an eyesore bed that the little girl... And Lana's family disappears for like 20 episodes at a time. Yeah. 20 episodes, Mike. Come on. She's and, been and gone she, for a whole season. She, you'll have Lana. You'll have Lana. Don't mention her sometimes by name. <laughs> yeah. You'll have Lana and Sarah having conversations, whether it's in the kitchen or the dining room or in the driveway or wherever the hell it is. Sometimes Kyle will be there too. And this little girl is either completely absent <laughs> or you just see a faint blurry image of her ass in the background yeah, playing with focus, Legos. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and she's supposed to be half the age of Sarah. So she's like really an, uh, really a little child who needs to be watched over. But Lana and Kyle just suck at, as parents. Apparently. I just think it's funny. They called themselves out. Yes. You know, that was created, awesome. this, created this entire story for this character, Sophie and her entire emotional arc was i'm forgotten <laughs> i'm forgotten <laughs> well and in fairness in that episode it's so amazing in that episode it was episode six right in that episode when before she ran away or disappeared or whatever there was a moment where she was having a conversation with kyle and in that moment, <laughs> yeah, in that moment, I was looking at her, going, "No wonder oh. nobody th- thinks of you, and you're you're for, you're forgotten. You're oh, you're so a terrible up. actor." Oh, <laughs> so and I mean, she's a small child; she's got some growing and learning to do and stuff. But it's like maybe that's why she was forgotten and kind of written out of so many episodes. It's like her her agent demanded this this episode. <laughs> 
and now they'll be done with her for the rest of the season. Oh, that'd she be so sad. She disappears. She again. disappears again. They're going to give her cancer. The, the, the cool oh, thing God. though, that I thought about this with the fact that they brought it up. I don't know if you guys noticed it, but it, it draws parallels to Jordan in the very, since the very beginning, he's almost kind of like that. He started off as the son. Who's the recluse does not interact right. with his parents. He's really quiet, but he can act. He can act. The actor by far is really good, but I mean, the parallel of the character is yeah. like, he's forgotten about. No one talks about Jordan. He was, he was, but now it's Jonathan, but now it's Jonathan. Of course, Jonathan, well, not anymore, but he had that hot piece of side tail, but she disappeared and left. And so now what's he going to do? He's, They're doing some pretty he'll, cool. He'll get beaten up by his, his girlfriend's dad. Apparently. Yeah. Now that, now that she's gone, maybe dad's gone forever too. Dude, but although, he, he, that's the best thing that could have happened to him. Although what, that, his that, ass that, no, that girl is just not good. No, I gotta, she's I gotta, bad I gotta, she is bad. News. I gotta ask though, when Clark goes to the diner and confronts the dad, did you guys get chills when basically he, he turned on the Batman on him and basically said, if I, I will find you. I was, I was, I was one, hoping he threw him into a pinball machine. Yeah. I was <laughs> like, no, dude, I was one part of me. One part of me was going, this is amazing. He's put, he's making this guy like he's squaring off with this dude and only a couple people in the room know that that's, what could happen. And then the other part of me was Lana got pin, turned on pinball machine. Oh, Lana was dripping. Yeah. Lana had to be excited about seeing And that. even Kyle was, I think he had he a, was a partial hard, yeah. boner. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, damn, Kyle's just looking at his pants. How's this happening? Yeah. So <laughs> stupid. Speaking of Kyle, he hasn't learned his lessons. None. He hasn't zero. learned. Now listen, everybody is entitled to move on, but the way he, the way they write this character, I'm standing <laughs> Are by. Are you questioning no, his now, choice? Now listen, I'm not saying it's bad writing because it's not. That's no, not it's my spot, complaint. It's spot but, on but, of what people it's, do. It's Yes. And it's very consistent with his character. Like yeah. you have a guy who, okay, he's not an alcoholic anymore. You can definitely tell he's trying to get control of his life, but the first chance he gets, he abandons his kids when it's his time to have, oh yeah, to spend time with him. And what's worse is that his kid asks him for food, <laughs> and he tells her, "Go to the refrigerator. Go to the refrigerator. He make knows something. that refrigerator's empty, right? And he leaves so he can go get his dick wet. There's like three <laughs> slices of bologna and a string cheese in that fridge, and she just opens it up and is like, "What the fuck?" So it's to Mike's point, so he can go get his dick wet. And everything about that character, while it's consistent with the character itself. We all know somebody like Kyle or oh, have yeah. known someone yes. that just makes very narrow, selfish, short-sighted decisions because they can't think beyond three feet of themselves. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that is Kyle. That is, yes, Kyle. that is Kyle. He's and not a bad guy. He's just slightly stupid. He's stupid. And the irony is his career, his profession requires that he makes very sound and good decisions to save the lives, lives of, of others. others. <laughs> He's a walking calamity. I was laughing so hard when Lana caught him and Beppo. Yes. Oh dude. That was in awesome. That story, yeah. Oh, I was like, dude, Kyle, you are, you suck. <laughs> you just suck. But look, Mike, look this season, Kyle is now turning into your favorite character. Remember season one and season two, you, you hated, hated him. him. You hated I, him. I do like Kyle. I feel sorry for him at times. I, I also <laughs> think he's a good looking dude. I'm going to get a little douchey here. He could do way better than Beppo, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, but I, Beppo's I, the rebound though. 
Beppo's the rebound. She's the rebound. That, that, that'd, be, that'd be so fucked up if she is. But he looks like he's genuinely likes her and he's genuinely falling for her. How are you going to go from big titty Lana to Beppo? Come on. Well, and I think what's funny is Lana's reaction, I think, was... There was a, obviously a sliver in time there where she was hesitating to sign the divorce papers. I think she was genuinely on the fence of, am I ready for this? And then she finally delivered them. Listen, ladies, don't give your man an out, even for 30 seconds, because he's going to be like, listen, we ain't together. I'm fucking. And look, else. look, Lana has, yeah. Lana has some Guys new, are stupid. She has new perspectives in John Henry Irons. John Irons. Or oh, Kyle. Uh, he's going to break it off. Come on. <laughs> you think John's going to break off a piece? Oh, come on. Him and uh, Lana. John Henry. Irons? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Come on. They're going to. Come gonna, on. Yeah. That guy. After yeah. this. He's in, in the middle of them having sex, he's going to call the, the, the suit and have to take over. <laughs> like, you want some real action, Lana? <laughs> So speaking of John Hammer Henry, time. have you heard of a, a Saul Drildo? <laughs> what the hell? Uh, so speaking of him, though, <laughs> David's losing that's just, it. That's just messed up. I've just thought, thought about it. Like, I, the, that is no. Yeah, it's not going to be pretty. Hey, pretty. My daughter gave me some uh, ad- added features. <laughs> she gave me an upgrade. A Drildo. A Drildo. A Saul drill, though. Yeah, I defeated Lex with this. Um, <laughs> he has also completely disappeared for a couple episodes. Yeah, John Henry yeah. Irons. Yeah, and I one of the things that I appreciated about the story arc for him this season is it's also connected to the family. It's connected to the family, mm-hmm. but in such an interesting way. Different. In that if, if if you know multiversal realities, um, <laughs> if you found your doppelganger self. And in his case, he's finding his doppelganger sister. Yes. Because in both of their own respective realities, the other one passed. Yes. And there's an ethical dilemma there of, do you interact with that person? Do you even make them aware of your existence? Obviously she would have probably been somewhat aware of him because of television of everything going on with the event. But there's an ethical dilemma there of do you encounter your doppelganger family or self? What was the emotional and mental toll that that can have on that other person? Yes. Because of your own selfishness. But I think he was coming to, uh, from a genuine place. Yeah. That's the thing. He, wants to, the he wants to save her and help he does. her. Yeah. All the characters, all the characters down to the villains, they come from genuine, honest to God, human places not being good or being evil there's no good uh, for me there's no good or evil decisions it does seem a little relative in this show doesn't it yeah that's basically i mean obviously there's good and bad but you are right david there's a the the characters are all written the villains sympathetically sympathetically to the point where we can all say would we make that decision yeah because we're human the best villains that arguably have ever been written are the ones that you can relate to and empathize with. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it makes Is that why I like the Dahmer series. Cause I can totally relate. To <laughs> Jesus. I mean, just, I, mean I, I, I relate to uh Patrick Bateman. So, you know, what, what, oh, what I was going to say Ed Gein. Ed Gein. Gein. No, that's more me. Ed oh, that's, that's more David. <laughs> Ed Gein's more. But, but uh, seriously though, like even, 
you know, you look at some, something as simple, uh, air quote, simple as Thanos, right? Mm-hmm. We yeah. can all relate and understand yeah. to his motivation. That's why he worked. Yeah. That's why he worked. But I think um, the, the difference between like that type or like where we make the villain sympathetic, the, the strength of this show is like, they never forget that they are the quote unquote villain of mm-hmm. this series. Usually when you try to sympathize like with a, a villain and everything else, the writers usually accidentally make that villain into an anti-hero at that point. Or or like a it does happen sometimes. It, yeah. it happens you teeter more a than, fine line where you it's teeter like, a fine yeah. line. And the writers of this series have done such a masterful job of basically you teeter the fine line, you show that even the villains are human. But you never forget they're still villains. Right. They still do horrible things. So to that end, one character that bothered me for many episodes for a long time until it finally, the light bulb moment went off, was Gaius Baltar in BSG. Because he was essentially a villain because he was so arrogant and egocentric and only cared about himself. And he made a huge mistake that cost the colony so much. Yeah. But then later you have to empathize with him and understand him, but you just wanted to hate him so much, but then you fall in love with him and then you hate him and then you You love love him. him. Come on. He was manipulated by hottie McGee. He did nothing wrong. Oh, but come on. So how is his penis? His penis is to be blamed. That's it. You could inter. You could replace. I would destroy humanity for Caprica. (laughs) For Caprica Six. Fair enough. But his motivations and his decisions are almost no different than Kyle in that regard. And you want to punch him in the face. Your point's made, but I also had to make my douche point. (laughs) I I I mean, I don't disagree with you. We're not going to disagree with you because, come on, Caprica Six. Yeah, but but he's an example of a villain who's not a villain in his truest sense, but he made bad choices. Yeah. But you still end up ultimately empathizing with him and feeling for him. But it's just constantly you're this back and forth, give and take with his yeah. ass. And that that could be a very dicey situation for a television show because you can't forget that these quote unquote villains have to be villains still. It's very they're, simple they're the what obstacle. they're it's very simple what they're doing. When you, we're really making it out to be difficult, and obviously when you watch other TV shows, it, it seems rather difficult because they can't do this but when you think about it it's very simple okay we have the good guys over here on the left with the bad guys on the right we're going to mirror them their stories are going to be almost identical except one will do things for good reasons one will do things for bad reasons but in the end they're going to be tied together with a singular theme so we can understand their different points of views one's going to make a bad decision one will make a good decision and that's exactly what they're doing this year they're just keeping everything that's why it's so important for TV shows to have a singular theme. Yes. So you so, have a singular theme. You can create, you can have it on site. You could have 30 characters in your TV show. If you have that singular theme, the way you just illustrated that through words, I was imagining in my mind, as you spoke the words of a whiteboard. Yes. Where you're literally drawing out what's essentially a math equation. Yep. For writing. And yet, Yes, it's simple on its on its face. On its face, it's simple, and yet I'll be damned if so many shows cannot get that simple nope. math nope. correct. It's because, crazy because writers tend to overthink things. I mean, 
Yes. I'm a writer and I know for a fact that basically there are times when I overthink something. And I know that basically there's millions upon millions of writers. That is their number one obstacle. So I, I agreed, but it's different if you're writing in a in a bubble with yourself versus a writer's room a writer's where you room. can have other people gut check you, you can bounce yeah. and you're you know you're spitballing, you're moving around the, the circle, whatever. But I think what also Mike is touching on, and we've talked about this in the past, is you have a showrunner with a vision. There was something mapped out here. There yeah. was a thread, a theme that was mapped out. They kind of, maybe it's changed and shifted, but they had a vision of where they were going. Yeah, because like, just like what Mike alluded to, their ability to to stick to their guns and not move away from the theme. What is this series about? It's about... You know, not to coin a phrase from Fast and the Furious, but unfortunately, it's it kind of ties. Family. It is about family. They don't have copyright on that. Fuck them. <laughs> Fuck them. But, but, like, they started this series to tell a story about Superman and Lois and their, and their two sons. And they essentially have continued that trend by showing the uh, family dynamics in various situations that might come up in a family phases in a family phases life. in a family it life. almost makes you wonder if an alternate title card could have just been called the kints yeah yeah or family matters i remember oh. but there is a copyright on that oh. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, you lost me there <laughs> no you no. don't like carl winslow come on i do i don't know what i was gonna say <laughs> <laughs> he mentioned carl winslow and basically suddenly you just lost your mind <laughs> It's pretty amazing stuff, though. You know what the show is doing. I don't know why I'm still surprised. <laughs> I don't watch a lot of network television. In fact, I think this is the only show I watch that's being produced for regular network television. It, the it CW. Is me. Yeah. And I have not been excited to watch a weekly show in years. Well, yes, I have my weekly shows that I have to watch, and I and I am somewhat, you know, looking forward to sitting down and watching it. But this is a show that reminds me of the good old days of television where oh, yeah. you would, you mm -hmm. would look at your clock. I'm like, all right, it's about to drop on the app. You know, it's going to air right now. I'm going to get my, my popcorn. I'm going to get uh, some soda. I actually look forward every week to watching the show. And for we're jaded as fuck as viewers. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. And the fact that you can create a show to where it um, generates excitement and enthusiasm in your audience that's a win, especially in this day and age where there's a lot of shit. There's a lot of TV being produced that looks pretty, but it's losing itself most of the time because the writing isn't there. Mm -hmm. I mean, I still get excited for the other stuff that we, we all watch on, on Disney Plus, right? The, the, the Star Wars shows, the Marvel Willow. shows. Definitely not. I watched, I didn't get through like the first oh, full man. episode. Oh, Willow was um, fun. It's so no. terrible. It's good. Yeah, it's, it's so it's, terrible. It's good. It's better than the Mandalorian. At least it has a cohesive narrative. Um, than Boba Fett. Favreau doesn't even know what the fucking narrative is. So that's a whole nother problem we can discuss, but I will never I concede that, that, I that show. I will never concede that Willow. I hope, I hope that no. show gets cancer. Uh, oh, wow. Wow. Um, but I'm with you, Mike. It, the only other series that I because everything else either drops all in bulk or it's not, it's not made for network. The, but the only series that I actively watch um, outside of this one CW show now, since we've pretty much stopped watching all the other ones, <laughs> um, is it's always sunny. Oh, no, yeah. 
Oh yeah, th- th- it's that's it. Sunny. That's on FX technically. That's so. on FX technically, um, and they do have a new season. They just announced it. It's coming in June. Oh, look at him. He's the PR agent. Yeah, <laughs> June seventh, everybody. June seventh. Um, He's doing plugs. Yeah. <laughs> Does any other TV shows you want to plug? Real fast? Well, I, I mean, I hope McElhenney's listening, and then he can bring me on. But uh, no, I, I seriously like. I just just move I, into your final thoughts. I'm too, not. A, I'm not a network TV guy because to your point Mike we've just been jaded and mm-hmm. there's been so much shit for so long and then you find this series and then you find something like this and you're yeah. like okay there's something out there where people actually f- are giving a shit about what they're producing and not to say that other people don't but there's just so much heart to this especially because it's DC content and I know all of us on this network is just we're at a breaking point we all love dc in fact i think most of us maybe not you steve we prefer dc over marvel i'm not talking about the movies necessarily i'm talking about just as a comic book property a lot of us love dc and it's so disappointing being a dc fan i went over this during a recent dc and rmd discussion and the reason why it's so disappointing is because you look at over the course of 40 years since i've been alive they have managed to make one actual property work Batman and they rebooted every 10 to 13 years the last franchise they had outside of Batman that actually worked was in the 70s it was Superman and that moved into like the early to mid 80s and and before that it was Batman it was Batman again (laughs) so and and even that's why as a DC fan it's so sad we can't get anything to stay around. We get little things and we're like, oh, that's cool. And then it's gone. Right. Like Swamp Thing. Yes. Whereas here we're given something that is actually good that we can look forward to every week. That is Superman DC related. And that's a rarity. And especially over the last 10 years where DC has just been floating, not knowing what it's doing with anything. And to have a show that's that we can actually come into the studio into the studio and talk about and be happy to talk about it and be excited to the point where I had to take numerous breaks because I was overly <laughs> excited. David was overly excited. <laughs> I had to start the show off by saying, everyone let's take a, a, a beat here <laughs> take yeah. a beat because it's a good show. We all enjoy it. And I'm just going to throw out my, my score for the, for the season so far. And as of right now, episodes one through seven, I, I would say averages out for me to be about 95%. It's really good writing, well acted, and pulling back on the visual effects this year, I think is a good thing because that's not their strong suit. Well, I, I would disagree. It's not horrible. I would disagree with with how you phrase that. Um, does that sound negative? Because that's not. It, it, it was it a does because sound. you know we've said this in the past that the amount of quality for a television production. There have been numerous shots of visual effects that rival some of yeah. feature film and in arguably some of the most recent Marvel films. Yes. It's been better than. It's been better. I have to. I love the Mandalorian stuff too. Yeah. And I have to assume that that's because there will be something and they're saving their, their money for that something. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. But it. It, we haven't even needed it. Yeah, I don't even miss it. No, I don't, we don't miss, even miss it. it this season. I don't even think about it. Which is a testament to the overall show that yes. we are enjoying a Superman show where we've only seen Superman for maybe five minutes. We're enjoying Superman without Superman. Yeah. 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 What's about your score, Steve? Um, I won't go quite as high. I was going to go 92. I won't go quite as high, but I, I you know, I, I, 
full disclosure, like you guys know, I didn't watch seven yet because I got busy this week. I'm going to watch it later tonight. Um, but I, I mean, I'm all in. Yeah. I'm all a, in on it. That's a good grade there. Yeah. What about you, Dave? I'm, I'm actually higher than you guys just because for me, the writing goes above and beyond what, what we're, we're saying is good. To me, the writing has been some of the best superhero writing I've mm-hmm. seen from a superhero show that is impactful and emotional across, across the board, across the board, not just within the DC properties, but I mean, even across into Marvel and other things, the scenes that basically where they do tax, uh, tackle that specific topic of cancer between Lois and Clark Lois and her kids. It's all emotional and it feels so real that there have been times this season where I get a little choked up and a little emotional watching them go through these emotions because you feel that sadness, that depression, that guilt. My favorite scene in the very beginning is Superman and Superman garb. Hearing Lois telling that, that, that uh, lady on the ledge that she has cancer and bang, it hits, it hits Superman like a bullet through the heart. Every scene that she's in where she has to hold back tears or doesn't hold them back. And she's in, Developed in emotion. An emotion. If you're not teary-eyed or have tears rolling down your cheek as well, then yeah. you are a dead person because and, she is killing it. And that that particular scene is my favorite up to this point through the seven episodes is just seeing Clark's reaction yeah. dressed as Superman and he goes from sad to angry to despair all dressed as Superman and he has to hold his wife who's crying. And he's the, the last thing you look at him is like, he's a symbol of hope. Yeah. He, he's the only thing that we can cling on to right now in this scene. He's hope. He stands for hope, but he, in that moment is hopeless. hopeless. Well, th- that's why that, that moment in episode six, I believe when Jonathan said, Oh my God, that I mean, just, just this is, me the up. show is taking everything that Superman, all of his strengths and throwing it out the window, everything that he uses, like his identity as a superhero, they're discarding it. They're taking it away from him so he can be vulnerable, but not in a and bad when, way. No, not, not in a, a bad, bad way. way. And when Jonathan said that hope isn't going to prevent us from dying, hope isn't going to prevent our mom from dying of cancer, his very identity, the S itself is hope is hope. And And if hope can't defeat this type of problem, I mean, how do you not fall into existential despair? Exactly. And and bingo the, his reaction, Tyler's reaction to that whole dialogue and watching Clark react to his son saying that. And on top of that, his own son saying, Hope didn't save your dad. There you go. Yeah. Hope didn't save your mom when she died. That's Hope's line, not yeah. going to save my, our mom. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's all of a sudden like, oh, he's just raining blows down. Oh, yeah, on his he's own cutting dad. through. He's cutting through it all with and, a very sharp knife. And the beautiful thing was you can't get angry at John because John is just reacting as a as a scared kid who's basically finding out. I'm going to lose my mom. But he's dropping some truth bombs that Clark was not prepared or ready to hear. It also is a way to remind Clark that 
you know, not everyone in his family is super, and he's going to have to confront exactly. their mor- mortality, including his sons. And well, see, fuck them. When they that, die, you fly oh. off world, you go to another planet. <laughs> Start a new family. Start a new yeah, family. Yeah. But just, yeah. just with those examples, I gave this whole se- season up to this point in 97. Okay. Because it's been really strong and really impactful. All right. Well, this brings us to the end of our discussion. We will be back at the end of the season to cover the remaining episodes. I'm sure we will all be very pleased because the direction so far has been great. I mean, none of us can complain. Now, if you are a new listener and you found us through various means outside of the podcast feeds, you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search BC on RMD, the Superman and Lois edition. Give us reviews, rate us. Thank you, David. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. Thank you. Who are you, bitches? Mother of God! Would you look at the time when you came here? You had an hour. 